safeties drop really deep. Handoff Sermon over the left side. Big hole, 30. First down, 25-20. Breaks a tackle. 15-10-5. The minister is into the end zone. Preach. Mason takes the ball, fakes a handoff, fires over the middle. It's caught by Aitman, and he takes it into the end zone. He juggled it for a moment, but got it back. Pistols firing. Touchdown, Oklahoma State's Marcel Aitman. There's more to us than that. Two receivers left, one right. Quarterback keeper here, 30-yard line. Jesse, 25-20, 15-10-5 to the goal line. Touchdown, 35 yards on the run for Jesse Ertz. Turpin in motion, they fake to him. Hand to Hicks, he'll walk in and score. Hit the horn with 7.39 to play in the second quarter. And the Horn Frogs now go up 13-7 to seven in France. 2,000 country stations, yeah, we're one big country nation, that's right. Well, the Big 12 meetings are taking place this week at Irving, and there is certainly plenty to keep an eye on. Pete Munda with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you joining us and being a part of the show as we get right to it, where it's the time of year where there's a not, a ton, not a ton going on. We've talked about this ad nauseum. But there's a little bit of action this week because the Big 12 officials are meeting at the Four Seasons Resort in Irving, Texas. And for the first time in a long time, it feels like this conference overall is in a place where no news is oftentimes good news. We got a little bit of a glimpse of that last year when there was finally, for the first time in uh, what felt like forever, no discussions about what to do about conference expansion, realignment, how that was going to play out. It was like over and done with and moving on. And it was nice. But this year, it's only a continuation of that because you have these Big 12 teams that are all making $34 million each before Tier 3 rights, which is an enormous number. On top of that, you have the Pac-12, which is struggling mightily compared to the Big 12. ACC is also divvying up on a per-school basis less money than the Big 12 because they have 14 teams. Add that to the fact that it's now the Big 12 that's the only conference in America that had a team in the college football playoff and the Final Four. Nobody else could say that. So all these different agenda items that are going to be on the Big 12 officials meeting this week, it's all pretty good stuff. Now, Gordon Gee, who's the president of West Virginia and now the Big 12 board chairman, that's another positive because David Bourne did a nice job at OU, but David Bourne was one of those guys who always had one foot out of the Big 12. He liked to use that as leverage. He'd say, don't forget, we're Oklahoma. If I want to leave for the uh, Pac-12 or the SEC, I'm going to do it. Don't piss me off. And I never thought that was healthy for the Big 12 conference. I didn't. And with Gordon Gee there now, he's a very likable guy. He's been around the block. And I think he's the perfect person to be leading this conference as the Big 12 board chairman and moving forward. He's got a good persona for it, solid personality. Uh, He's happy to be there. He wants this conference to succeed. And that's as important as anything else. And Gee has come out this week and said, intimacy gives us, being the Big 12, an opportunity to do something that a lot of other places can't do. We'll play to our strengths. We're small, but we can be very aggressive in positioning ourselves uniquely. He went on to say, 
will remain very healthy as a league. I think we'll negotiate very good contracts. For many reasons, I feel good about where we are. And he should. He should feel great. Who needs a conference network? Look at the Pac-12. It's a total disaster over there with their conference network. Big 12's in a good spot with the Fox and ESPN deals and their Tier 3 rights. Some of these schools are making 40-plus million bucks a year, like OU, Texas up to 50 mil a year. They are in fantastic financial economic shape. And dividing that pie with two schools like a Cincinnati uh, and a Boise State or whoever it might be would not have expanded the value of the conference enough to justify adding them. And that's what the Big 12 wisely came to the conclusion of. And it's looking more brilliant by the day. So you got to give him credit for that. Now, when he says that, you know, we're, we'll negotiate very good contracts, I look at that as an interesting comment because, first off, the contracts are going to be up in about six years. Now, there's no reason to kind of go down that road in full force right now. But the amount of opportunity that these leagues are going to have, from Amazon to Google to keep an eye on a company like Roku, it sounds crazy. But Roku is similar to where Netflix was a few years back, where they were basically syndicating third-party material. But, but now that Roku has taken off a little bit, they are going to need to create original content. And for that alone, maybe they jump into the sports rights business at some point, or they start producing their own content. There are going to be so many different ways to get sports in five, six, seven years. You know, I just started using OTT. I cut the cord. And not to promote it, but I do use YouTube TV. And it has been fantastic watching it through the internet. I cut my cable bill by a third and all I got to pay for is internet and super cheap YouTube TV, and I have all the sports I need. I don't want to sound like a promotional item for it, but that's the future. And that's where things are trending. So Guy is being very smart here and just saying we're going to negotiate good contracts, we're not going to jump at anything, and we are going to see how this plays out. And even ESPN, I could totally see a day where ESPN, and they're starting to do this a little bit, where they are creating either an app or a platform that you have to pay for monthly that will get you exclusive content. Why wouldn't they do that with the Big 12 or whoever it might be, the SEC? There are a lot of ways that we are going to see sports rights change in the coming years, and I think the Big 12 is very well positioned to be a big part of that. You're going to have sports gambling. That's going to be a big topic here over the coming weeks, and especially this week, as the Big 12 officials meeting takes place at the Four Seasons Resort in Irving, Texas, and, and how that plays out, how they deal with the gambling aspect of this is going to be interesting. Because think about this, all of a sudden, you could have reporters asking coaches about point spreads, and all of a sudden, you think about injury reports are going to be way more important than they ever were previously at the college level because, yes, people did it. Yes, people gambled. Uh, but now that it could be legalized across multiple states in this country, it's going to be that much more important. And I think it's going to become like the NFL where you have to have a full-blown injury list, no phony baloney in there, a couple days before the game, whatever it is, Thursday at 5 o'clock, and you can't be fudging things. I know the NFL does it a little bit, but for the most part, they keep it pretty honest because they know people are gambling on it. 
And I'd like to see that happen uh, just as much with the college game. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. Because as it stands, college football teams don't need to do that like the NFL teams need to do and produce that full report. You know, they can be asked about that by the media. Does player X have an injury? Uh, what can you tell us about the injury? But they don't need a report per se like what you have in the NFL. And I could definitely see that changing with the legalized gambling coming right around the corner. So there are many ways that we are going to see sports gambling affect these teams. And also, we've talked about it. How does it affect these teams when it comes to uh, revenues and advertising? If Oklahoma passes sports gambling, does OU and Oklahoma State go looking for a sponsor um, at some common level, whether it's a local Indian casino or whatever it might be, to promote sports gambling? It would feel a little strange, but it would not be out of their jurisdiction or totally out of line for them to go down that road. It wouldn't. So there's a lot to watch as the Big 12 meetings take place this week in Irving, Texas. And unlike the SEC, which has six new coaches in the conference, the Big 12 has none. And that circles back around to the stability of this conference, where it stands, where it's headed, and why it is incredibly healthy. Yes, the SEC had both teams in the conference or in the national championship game last year. We all get that, right? But let's be honest, it was a top-heavy league. It has been a top-heavy league for a couple of years now. It's not what it was from 2006 to 2013. It's not. It's Alabama. Now you throw in Georgia, and there's a lot of mediocrity after that. There is. So while the SEC is worrying about that, the Big 12 is sitting pretty very pretty and trying to figure out what direction to take for the first time though there's not a lot of chaos and it doesn't feel like this conference has or there are people in this conference that have one foot out the door and for that reason alone there is a lot of positive vibes and good feelings around the big 12 and for that we should all be really happy if you're a fan of this conference you should be very happy about that because even teams like, you know, when you hear OU fans say we want to go to the SEC, they sound like dopes. They do. OU would not have a tenth of the power in the SEC that it does in the Big 12. All right. Uh, so OU fans are being irrational when they say that. Every team in this conference should want this conference to stay around because you have some of the schools like Iowa State, West Virginia, Kansas State that might have some trouble finding a new home if the whole thing blew up. You have OU and Texas that run the conference, which, let's be honest, or at least are at the top of the food chain, which if they left for somewhere else, they'd have to reestablish their power. And then you have the middle of the pack where it's like Oklahoma State would have to tag along with Oklahoma somewhere. So there are reasons that each one of these 10 teams should be very happy about the health of this conference. And I hope that's evident at the Big 12 meetings this week in Irving, Texas. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent digital Big 12 media outlet. Appreciate you guys joining us. You can find us on Twitter at heartland underscore CS. I'm at Pete Mundo, that's M-U-N-D-O. And we have some new odds coming out for the Big 12. Who's the favorite and how tight is the pack after that? We'll talk about it coming up right here on Heartland College Sports Weekly. So some new title odds came out for the Big 12 Conference, and it just goes to show you what a jumbled mess 
this conference is going to be in a very good way. I'm totally fine with it. Pete Mundo, Heartland College Sports Weekly. It's great to be here with you. Uh, new odds came out from Bet Online, and the leader in the clubhouse to win the Big 12 is Oklahoma at plus 150, meaning you put down a dollar on the Oklahoma Sooners, you're going to get back $1.50. That's how that math works. After that, this might surprise you. It's shocking to me. The Texas Longhorns have the second best odds at plus 350, meaning that if you put down $1 on Texas and they win the Big 12, you get 350 back. I think that's a horrible bet. An absolutely horrible bet. I'm not trying to be a Texas hater. I don't I'm not. I want Texas to be good. It's good for the Big 12. But after everything this team has been through over the past 10 years, and even last year, I mean, are you convinced that Sam Ellinger is going to take this team to the promised land? And while the defense was great last year, look at how many bodies they're missing from that team from last season. I mean, the amount of talent that is gone is unbelievable. That Todd Orlando now has to rebuild. And I know they have great freshmen coming in like B.J. Foster and whatnot at the defensive back position, but that takes a little time to mold. So to say that Texas is suddenly going to be the team to win the Big 12, I'm just shocked. And then Oklahoma State at plus 500, meaning $1 wins you five on the uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys. Got to be honest, that feels high as well. Oklahoma State has an enormous amount of turnover. You don't know who the quarterback is. How do you have the Cowboys at the third best odds to win the Big 12 Conference? I don't get it. Unless someone in Vegas knows that Spencer Sanders is the next coming of Johnny Manziel. How are you convinced of that? Then you have the West Virginia Mountaineers at plus 600. Meaning $1 wins you 6 bucks on the Mountaineers to win the Big 12. After that, TCU at plus 800. And then there's the drop-off. Baylor and Kansas State are plus 1,600. That's $1 wins you 16. Iowa State plus 2,000. $1 wins you 20 bucks. Texas Tech plus 2,500. $1 wins you 25. And then you got the Kansas uh, Jayhawks at plus 10,000, which means $1 wins you 100 bucks on the Jayhawks. Yeah, that and that might be the worst bet in the Big 12 because of how bad the Jayhawks are. You couldn't you couldn't buy me that bet is how bad it is. <laughs> it could be plus 20,000, I wouldn't buy it. But uh or yeah, 20,000. I wouldn't still wouldn't touch it. Wouldn't do it. Um the order I would go, odds. I'm fine with OU at 1 even though the quarterback situation concerns me. So much talent in the roster. Lincoln Riley proved himself last year. I'm fine with OU as the favorite to win the Big 12. Then I would go West Virginia. Then I would go TCU. Then I would go Texas. And then probably Kansas State, to be honest. I'm, I don't, it's not a knock on Oklahoma State, but I just, the turnover on the coaching staff, the turnover at key positions. And Mike Gundy's done a good job, but it's not like that program has an enormous amount of depth where it's next man up. I'd put OU somewhere in the middle, or Oklahoma State somewhere in the middle of the pack of the Big 12 Conference, to be totally honest. That's where I'd put them right now. Now, TCU, you're going to say, well, TCU doesn't have a quarterback. Well, Sean Robinson, I got to see more to Sean Robinson, but he's at least played Big 12 football games. Oklahoma State's quarterback is not. And also, Gary Patterson has done a better job than Mike Gundy in terms of recruiting uh, year in, year out. 
being ranked in the top 20 or 25. He's done a better job at that than has Mike Gundy. I mean, Mike Gundy, for all the success of Oklahoma State, he's still got his recruiting classes in like that 30 to 40 range, which I don't know when Oklahoma State makes that jump. I'd like to think that would have happened by now, to be totally honest, but they don't recruit top 20 to 25 classes, and they should be year in, year out consistently. Now, you can say that Gundy overachieves with the guys that he gets. I can agree with you there, but why can't Mike Gundy be out there getting more four-star guys and maybe a a five-star here and there? He should be able to do it based on the success that he's had and based on the facilities that are in Stillwater and his location, you know, right up the road from Texas. I know he's the little brother in his own state, but teams have done it. And he should be recruiting better. So I'm not convinced that Oklahoma State, in fact, I'm pretty confident they are not going to be the, and should not have the third best odds to win the Big 12. They, they shouldn't. Not at all. I'm also surprised Baylor has better odds than Iowa State. That's that's surprising to me because Iowa State might have the most dynamic player in the conference in David Montgomery. And that leads me to an interesting um, conversation that was had with Derek Duke. He writes for us, and he does a weekly mailbag that comes out on Tuesdays. He's been doing a fantastic job of that. And if you find him on Twitter, at DerekDuke25, every Monday he asks for your question, and the best question ends up getting... Uh, a Heartland College Sports koozie that I put in the mail and send right to your front door. I mean, that's pretty darn good. So he has this great conversation every week with a lot of our readers, a lot of you guys. If you don't read us, be sure to be checking out this mailbag. And I thought the most interesting question he got was, how long until Matt Campbell is known to most college football fans, regardless of conference? And I think it's a great question. Now, I think last year, Matt Campbell... Uh, Maybe not the -the run-of-the-mill college football fan, but the guy who is very in tune with the college football scene, coast-to-coast, should know Matt Campbell's name by now. After beating Oklahoma, after beating TCU in the same month, with the miracle story of Kyle Kemp, all that was going on there, there's no doubt that the above-average college football fan knows Matt Campbell. Does the average one? Probably not. And partially that's because of how Matt Campbell has carried himself. He stayed low-key. He said, I'm focused on Iowa State. He kept to his word. He signed a big extension last season. And he has stayed true to form. Do I think deep down, if you're asking me honestly, do I think Matt Campbell is going to be the head coach of Iowa State in 2025? I don't. I'd love for Matt Campbell to turn Iowa State into his own Kansas State like Bill Snyder did. Nobody would be happier about that than me as someone that covers the Big 12 because I love what he has done with that program. But do I believe in my heart of hearts that he's never going to go to a bigger job? I don't. I think that a massive Big Ten opening, if it were to come available, if a Michigan or an Ohio State or maybe a Nebraska were to come available— Now, I know Scott Frost was just hired there, and all three have terrific head coaches that are not in the hot seat, but college football changes over five, ten-year period. If those jobs came up and he was still cruising with Iowa State, I firmly believe he would consider, as an Ohio kid, making one of those moves. Maybe a Penn State, if James Franklin ever left for the NFL or something else. I think he would consider that. But I don't think that's... You're going to have a situation where Matt Campbell is running for a mediocre 
job in the ACC. And in fact, I don't think he's a fit for the ACC or the SEC. He likes recruiting the Midwest. He knows Ohio. He likes that part of the country. So I believe that the average college football fan is going to know Matt Campbell's name within the next two years. It's going to take longer because he's such a subdued guy. But there's no doubt in my mind that eventually Matt Campbell is going to be a household name. As one of those coaches that just overachieves year in, year out. Nobody sees it coming. You know, Bill Snyder 25 years ago, he's going to be that guy in college football that he's going to be in a bowl game most years. Maybe once every five, six years, he's got a team that can compete at the top of the uh, conference. And it's going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch. So I love Matt Campbell being there, but do I think he's there for the rest of his career? I, I don't. Just my hunch. Sorry, I hate to break it to you. I don't want to get too caught up in some industry news, but I'm going to mention it because a lot of you guys have asked me about it and have brought it up. And it's sad news, but I can give you some of the background behind it. Pete Mundo wrapping things up with you on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you guys being a part of the show. Find me on Twitter. It's at Pete Mundo. That's M-U-N-D-O. So if you follow them, diehards.com, they, have, uh, they were an aggregated group by Cox Media that – had different conference websites. They had one for the Big 12, SEC, ACC, Pac-12, Big 10. They covered all five conferences. And they announced last week that they are closing up shop. Cox Media Group shut down diehards, which once again makes us the preeminent Big 12 website in existence on the internet today. Uh, There is no close second when it comes to unique, unique content day in, day out, providing it for the people. We are providing that. Nobody else is doing it. And we're also doing the best job of it. So we had a little bit of competition, but now we basically have none. And we are as grassroots as it gets. We have no Cox Media behind us, no Time Inc., Time Warner, whatever it might be, ESPN. Nope. That's it. It's me. It's Derek Duke. It's Matthew Poston. It's Cam Brock. It's Dave Beal. And it's you. That's it. A few of us trying to make the Big 12 a better place one day at a time. That's what we do. So, Die Hard shuts its doors, or they're shutting their doors in late June, and I feel for the guys. You know, I met some of the guys at Big 12 Media Days last week, or last year, and I I do feel for them. They seemed like really good guys from when I met them, and you never want to see anybody lose their job, especially in an industry where it's so hard to find work right now. I, I understand that. But the reality is this. The business model did not work and did not make sense, and here's why. Too often... What diehards did is they did not create enough, in my opinion, original content that drove people to their site. They aggregated news to try to get at the top of Google search for everything else in the world. Uh, but what they also did was it's one thing to aggregate news. Like if, uh, if some reporter at Texas Tech reports that whatever, Patrick Mahomes leaving early for the NFL, then I'll do a write-up on that. I'll report it. I'll give that person credit, link back to them, whatever it might be. And yeah, I make a post out of that. That's how the internet works in 2018. But what diehards did is they actually would aggregate news based on what other media outlets were saying, which 
was nonsensical and mind-boggling to me when it started. I'll give you an example. This week, a headline on diehards, Sports Illustrated, colon, TCU not heading back to Big 12 championship game. So basically, they aggregate an article on what Sports Illustrated says is going to happen in the Big 12 this season. Who the hell does that? And who the hell cares? Here's another headline. The Athletic. Oklahoma football faces potential trap game against Baylor. So you're basically doing a story on what the athletic thinks Oklahoma has in a trap game against Baylor. That makes zero sense to me. Why you would first off promote other media outlets, I don't get. And why you would then make that news on your website. You want to talk about being over cluttered. That was the definition of it. Now, at the same time, I'll say this. I knew guys that wrote at Diehards, and they were told that they had to produce one piece of content for 200 to 300 words that would then in turn make the website. So here's the problem with that formula. You cannot force the news cycle. In sports, in hard news, whatever it might be, entertainment news, you cannot force the news cycle. So you end up with these guys posting these bogus BS articles about what Sports Illustrated thinks is going to happen in the Big 12, and you make it somehow to being news. That makes no sense. And I realize these media outlets like Cox Media are saying, well, if these guys are going to be getting paid, we got to make sure they're doing something. But to the detriment of what? You're hurting your product in the end when you are cluttering your website with nonsense, aggregated news on what other media outlets think are going to happen in the Big 12 Conference. That is a horrible business model. And I don't have the financials behind why Cox Media Group is shutting down their diehards brand, which was their college football brand. But I can tell you right now, uh, I feel for the guys that lost their jobs. A lot of this is not their fault. Most of it's not their fault. There's a lot of talent there. But that whole idea of aggregating news of opinions of other people was horrendous from the start and I believe is partially why they failed. Because I'd check out their site and there was some good stuff on there. But the good stuff got crowded between all the garbage that was being aggregated every hour. So I hope every one of these guys lands on their feet. Um, We're pulling for them. I'm pulling for them. But... My goodness, from a business model perspective, it made no sense. Some of the things they were doing, very little sense. And that's that's too bad. It is. Pete Mundo here, Heartland College Sports Weekly. I'm putting together this thing with Derek Duke where we're going through the schedules of every conference or every team in the Big 12 Conference and just doing a schedule analysis. And we're working our way through this this week. And, and one thing that I thought was very tricky, unusually tricky and sneaky tricky, is Oklahoma's schedule, and here's why. They open up the season, Florida Atlantic, and then you gotta play UCLA. Back to back, you got Lane Kiffin's offense on top of that, you have Chip Kelly's offense. If I'm Mike Stoops, I start preparing yesterday. Then you've got Iowa State on the road for a Big 12 opener, Army against a 10-3 Jeff Mongan team, Baylor a trap game, Texas TCU, that's brutal, and you don't know who your quarterback's gonna be. Sneaky tough there for the Sooners coming up to start the fall. It's going to be very interesting. Pete Mundo on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Always appreciate you guys listening to the show. If you missed any of it, just search it. iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Heartland College Sports. That's all you have to do. And you will get the podcast version in your phone easily. 
Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next week, same time, same place, right here at Heartland College Sports Weekly. 2,000 country stations. Yeah, we're one big country nation. That's right.